Welcome to Conversations, a tier fund podcast that connects global voices to local issues. In these episodes, we share the wisdom and ideas of voices from around the world and connect them with the things that matter to our church communities here in Northern Ireland. We believe that the local church plays a unique and vital role in establishing God's kingdom around the world. We believe that churches in Northern Ireland can learn a lot when we listen to our brothers and sisters from around the world. And we believe that if we as Christians and leaders can listen with courage and respond with wisdom, we will see a church revitalized and a land renewed in the name of Jesus. In each episode, we will invite you to listen in as we speak with a voice from the global church, knowing that what we hear won't just encourage us, but can inform our practice and impact our mission here at home. Tear Fund is a Christian charity that partners with churches in more than 50 of the world's poorest countries. We tackle poverty through sustainable development, responding to disasters and challenging injustice. We believe an end to extreme poverty is possible. And of course, you can visit tearfund.org to find out more. Well, welcome everyone to episode two. We are so glad that you're joining us. Um, Today, we are talking about the climate crisis and how it links to people in extreme poverty. Um, Chris, this is something that we have been looking at at Tier Fund for a while now. Um, Have you noticed that in your last six months? Have you learned anything, I suppose, about the climate crisis while being here with us? Hello, Gemma. Great to be back. Uh, Yes, I have. In fact, last week I was at a church and we sang a hymn that was written by Graham Kendrick for Tier Fund's 25th anniversary, which was over 25 years ago. And there was a verse in it devoted to how we look after and are concerned for the environment because of its impact on the purse. So actually, it's nothing new for Tier Fund. That's right. I I actually, the first time it really clicked with me was during my first Tier Fund trip, which was to Rwanda in 2017. I went to film a few stories of the people that we serve. And there was one that just really stands out. And her name was Anastasia. And she'd grown up in post-genocide Rwanda. Very, very difficult, um, both materially and psychosocially really suffered. Um, and eventually had come across a self-help group that was run by one of our local partners, a church. Um, and she had managed then to sort of start saving very small amounts of money and start farming maize just around the land in her home. Then had like bought herself some farm animals. Her next thing was to save enough to buy a motorbike to then bring her produce to markets and other towns. And she was a real success story. She had four kids. All of them were at school. They could, you know, afford health insurance. They were being fed whole meals, which was not always the case. And her husband actually had found this lovely newfound sense of purpose, I suppose, by working alongside Anastasia. But she took me out during one of the breaks we had and her house was on top of a hill. And as we looked down, all we could see were field crops and really dry, red, cracked earth. And she just turned to me and said, the weather is changing and explained that that meant for her family that they were going to have to become displaced move away from everything they had built and start again. And in that process, obviously risk 
being very vulnerable, risk, danger, illness, um, and again, very extreme poverty. So that for me was the first time that I was able to connect the climate crisis that people were talking about an awful lot um, with actually its impact on people who were already vulnerable. Um, and at Tear Fund, that's essentially what we hear from every person we speak to is that the weather is changing. There are either unexpected rains and floods, there are extreme weather events, or like for Anastasia, the rains weren't coming. And that was just having a devastating impact on her life. Um, so that's why at Tear Fund, we always say, that actually the climate, the climate crisis is one of the biggest threats to the development that we have seen and supported um, since Tear Fund has been going. And as you say, we've been talking about it for a number of years. So as we're thinking about the impact of uh, climate change on the poorest in the world, uh, we caught up a little while ago with Norman, a colleague of ours from Honduras, and he described in vivid detail uh, the impact of the changing climate on the ground where he is on the work of Tear Fund and on the poorest in Honduras. My name is Norman, Norman Molina. I'm, um, I'm from Honduras, Central America, and I'm living here in Honduras in a place called um, Cihuatepeque. So the effects of climate change are, are huge, uh, and I think the strongest evidence is that levels of poverty are rising. Honduras, Central America, almost 60% of our population is, is living in poverty. Fisher, fishing communities, you know, they had they're a small restaurant, they, and they cook the fish and they sell fish for a living. These communities don't exist anymore because the water levels have, uh, have increased in, in, in ways that have um, made communities, entire communities disappear. Their livelihoods are constantly affected by, by rain. It's not just hurricanes, but also tropical storms are more frequent, more intense. It makes life more difficult. Every time I hear rain, there's this fear of what is going to happen, which is sad because rain in the Bible for us, rain, it's, it's, it's a sign of, of blessing, of, of life, of crops and, and, and grow. And sadly, because of, of the damage and the vulnerability that we have in our, in our countries, rain has become a threat. So last year, uh, we had two hurricanes that caused huge damage, especially in the north, uh, coast of Honduras, um, so um, more than 4 million people affected by these two hurricanes, more than 100,000 people in shelters. And still today, we have more than 10,000 people still living in shelters, in formal shelters, but many, many others that have not been counted. Uh, they have built their own shelters under bridges with wood and plastic sheets. Uh, so more than 80% of our crops were damaged. That means that this year, 2021, we're going to face maybe food insecurity in the coming months. Central America is one of the most, if not the most affected uh, or uh, most vulnerable uh, area to, to climate change. And what, what, I, what I would say is that um, we can be intentional in, in understanding that this is a global problem. Um, that what I do, what I decide, my the way I decide to live has an effect on the rest of the world. You know, patterns of consumption, um, the way we uh, we use resources, energy um, has an effect on all of us. And and my invitation to you would be just to consider this. 
consider that we are in a, in a global, we are a global community. In a minute, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Ruth Valerio, who is Tier Fund's Advocacy and Influencing Director. Um, but Chris, first of all, tell me about your week. What's been your highlight? Any lowlights? Any banter? Yes. Uh, well, just today, Gemma, I had a wonderful phone call with uh, with the team in Uganda and, and a church team here in Northern Ireland to discuss uh, partnership and life, um, but able to connect with these global uh, brothers and sisters, uh, just wonderful. But I don't know if this is more exciting or just on the same sort of level. But this morning, you'll be aware that last month I talked about sowing new grass seed. This morning I went out, the sun was just rising and I spotted the first new shoots and I was absolutely delighted. So that's major, major news in the Thompson household. It's very good to know. I had been wondering and also praying for your grass. Um, can I, you, we have not planned to talk about this, but you tweeted a couple of days ago with something that was really interesting to me about your work at Tier Fund so far. And your tweet said, working for Tier Fund, in my experience, is a walk between despair because you see and hear more of the darkness in the world and hope because you see and hear stories of change and local churches being salt and light. Oh, and because you're surrounded by hopeful people. And um, I love that. Can you talk a bit about how, like, how you've straddled that kind of despair and hope line in the last six months? Yes, uh, obviously sometimes it's more despair uh, than others, and other days you're feeling more hopeful. But um, I guess I was just struck by that today. Even in the Uganda conversation, uh, Paul, who's our company director, was sharing that some parts of the country the average uh, of about twenty percent of people live below the poverty line, but in other areas in the north and northeast. It's up to 65, 70% of people below the poverty line. So there's great discrepancy in terms of need. Um, and he told a story of a of a 70-year-old man uh, who traveled with him to, to the Northeast, a Ugandan man who, who was absolutely distraught about the levels of poverty that he had seen in his visit. And this is a man who has grown up in in poverty and in a country that's is affected and impacted by poverty and yet he was blown away and heartbroken and ashamed that that level of poverty existed in uganda uh, and so i guess i left that meeting just uh, blown away by that level of of need and yet paul went on to talk about the church and uh, the sustainability of its mission and being salt and light and uh, you have to hold that tension of hope and despair uh, at the end of the day, maybe just give it to Jesus and say, have mercy on us, Lord. Yeah. And and certainly with this episode, actually, the subject matter that we're talking about probably is a great illustration of both knowing the, the stats and the devastating impact and hearing the stories, but also maintaining the hope that we have from God for restoration and uh, building towards that, I suppose, isn't it? Uh, in, in our coming episodes, we're going to uh, have a little coffee break with a Tier Fund staff member from the UK or further afield, just to get a little understanding of the kind of thing they do week in, week out. So uh, this this podcast episode, we've got Glenn Mitchell, who's a Tier Fund Northern Ireland director, and I'm going to ask him a couple of questions so that you can get to know him better. Glenn, first and foremost, what are you drinking right now? Hi, my name is Glenn and I am the director of Tier Fund here in Northern Ireland. And uh, if this was real coffee now that we were sitting drinking, it would be probably coffee as it should be, which is filtered 
black, no milk, no sugar, coffee as it should be. Glenn, what is your favourite project at Tearfund? You're allowed to say it. What's your favourite? My favourite aspect of Tearfund's work is definitely that we get to work with and through and for local churches around the world. But I also love working with churches here uh, in Northern Ireland and being able to um, connect people with what's going on around the world, but also to be able to introduce them and give a, a kind of like a conduit for them to experience the blessing that it is to give. And uh, the generosity of churches here uh, is really incredible. And it's just really a privilege to, to be part of that. And Glenn, tell us about your biggest leadership failure. I think my biggest failure has probably been um, in my posture and tone about leadership. I think early on, um, uh, you know, I really thought, well, leadership is, it's about big vision. It's about going places. It's about doing amazing things. And certainly that is part of it. But I think what's more important than leadership is the ability to listen and the ability to empathize with people and to connect in that personal way. And I think really the job of leaders, and that could be in church or in business or in any sphere, is is to see, well, who, who are the people we have in the room? What's unique uh, about uh, these people? And how can my, my, you know, my job as leader is to help actually get the best out of the people um, who we have here and um, and to, to see in that way where does God want to take us. So I think my biggest failure has been um, thinking too much about big vision and accomplishing great things and ignoring um, uh, the power of listening and the power of empathy and the power of personal connection. And then Glenn, tell us a little bit about your involvement in the local church. Well, I'm part of Redeemer Central in Belfast and I just... Uh, joined the church during the pandemic. So involvement has been kind of strange because it's been mostly online and um, increasingly now in-person things, but uh, I'm just really getting settled in there. It was a strange time to to move churches, but um, it's a great church and really uh, glad to be part of it and looking forward to um, uh, just plugging in better and connecting in better over the next uh, few months. So now on to the highlight of today's episode, our interview with Ruth Valerio. Um, Ruth is Tearfund's Global Advocacy and Influencing Director. She carries a vision to inspire and equip Christians to a whole life response to poverty, helping build a movement that brings about lasting change on the issues that impact the poorest and most vulnerable. She has a particular interest in environmental issues and says that she longs to see the culture of the church change so that caring for God's earth becomes an integral part of church life rather than an optional extra. Ruth was churches and theology director for Arosha UK, a Christian charity that works for the protection and restoration of the natural world. Um, and she also spearheaded Eco Church, which helps churches do just that. Um, academically, Ruth has a theology degree from Cambridge and a doctorate from King's College in London. She is also a widely published and very prolific author. So Ruth, we are so delighted to have you on the podcast today. Can you tell us where you're calling from and what the weather is like with you? Yes, and hello, it's really good to be with you. So I'm calling from my kitchen table 
down in the south of England and it's actually a lovely sunny day so I'm looking forward to going for a walk and getting some sunshine on my face a bit later today so yeah it's beautiful and it's just painting the picture for our listeners Ruth has the best background at Tear Fund which is a shelf <laughs> that has is it recipe books behind it behind on top of the shelf yeah. Ruth and then she hangs these beautiful mugs that are all colorful just underneath on little hooks and I always enjoy just seeing her on my screen it's a very comforting view so I wish you could see it if you're listening today <laughs> and you know they are all from charity shops um near the near the tier fund office and uh-huh. i got them just before lockdown with no idea that within a few months they would be being viewed uh, not only all around the country but all around the world so it's been quite funny they've become iconic in that sense that's great <laughs> who knew so ruth getting down to the nitty-gritty tell us why Why is climate change an issue that Christians need to pay attention to? Climate change is an issue that Christians need to pay attention to because it speaks right into the heart of our Christian faith. So the climate crisis is having a devastating impact on people living in poverty. At Tear Fund, we hear every day from our partners, from the communities that we serve, that the weather is changing. People can't plant their crops, the rains don't come, and when the rains do come, the crops are devastated because they come too strongly. They're facing wildfires and hurricanes, droughts and floods. So people are being pushed further back into poverty. And as Christians, we see all the way through our scriptures a clear call to be living and acting on behalf of people living in poverty. We are told that Isaiah tells us to spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. So we worship a God of justice who calls his people to worship him and to follow him by being seekers and lovers of justice. So we have to respond to the climate crisis from that perspective. And also from the perspective of worshipping a creator God and the Lord of all creation, Colossians 1 15 to 20 tells us that this world was made in and by and through for Jesus. This world is something that is absolutely precious to the Jesus who we follow. And as we see the devastating impact that the climate crisis is having on the wider natural world, as well as on people, we know that as followers of the Lord of all creation, we need to be engaged in responding to that. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Um, this isn't new for Tear Fund. Uh, we shared just earlier in the podcast, you know, 25, 30 years and more. Tear Fund has been advocating for a Christian response to the climate. But how has that changed in the last 10 years in terms of the impact? Have, have we discovered that impact has got worse? Oh, absolutely. So when Tear Fund first started talking and campaigning and taking action on climate um, nearly 30 years ago, actually. We did that because we were hearing from our partners about things starting to change and also because the scientific community was talking about what is going to happen. So the scientific community were beginning to talk about dire predictions. 
Uh, so for a lot of the decades, while we have been seeing some impacts, it's also been about predictions. It's about being able to see if we don't change and if we don't take action, this is what it's going to this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to be like. Now, 30 years later, we have reached that point where we are now no longer talking about predictions. We are talking about what is happening now. So all of the things that were being predicted 10, 20, 30 years ago and before that, actually, but primarily in those 30 years, all those things we are seeing now, increased climate refugees, wildfires, increased flooding, heat waves, droughts. I mean, just look at what we have seen over the last few months in our papers. We are in a climate emergency So the work that we have done, that we're doing at Tear Fund has been picking up pace and been been becoming an issue of increasing urgency for us. And uh, as you know, as Tear Fund, we are here to serve the poorest people in the world and to, to go where the needs are greatest. And it's become increasingly clear that we simply cannot do that without responding to the climate crisis. Yeah. And Ruth, for, um, well, many of our listeners are involved in church leadership in Northern Ireland. And I think for a few of them, or for maybe a lot of them, there is a tension between understanding the theological imperative to care for the earth and those living in it, and then the need to bring people who may not fully understand the issue along with them. So perhaps there are even people who deny that it's an issue, or um, at least deny that it's one that Christians should care about, or even those who just think, you know, we're following a trend. Um, so the question is that Tear Fund and in your role in particular, how do you navigate that? So both knowing that there's an urgency, but needing to give, I suppose, people and governments um, achievable next steps. And that's where I think Tearfund can really help because we are so connected globally. We are, this again, this isn't just about scientific papers. Mm -hmm. We are connected to those communities that are right on the front line and bearing the brunt of the climate emergency. So I think of Orbisa, um, a mother in the northeast region of Ethiopia, who has to walk now 10 hours every day to collect water, which didn't Mm. used to be the case. Or of Jessie, a grandmother in Malawi, who we work with, we work with her community, who lives near a river and now sees the river flooding regularly, which destroys her crops. Mm. So we can really help bring those those real life stories and real life people to churches and to church leaders, helping to make this a reality, not just kind of stats and figures that that we might read in papers. Well, that's helpful. Would you have any tips, this was practically for, say, a church leader who's listening, who is convinced fully that the issue is an important one to address as a Christian, but maybe he's struggling to bring people in his or her congregation along with them? Yeah, I would say really root it in those stories, in mm. the realities of what's happening. So find ways with Tearfund to sort of partner and to link with others to show those different stories that the people who we're involved with and also help your congregation to understand the biblical mandate. So this isn't about jumping on a secular bandwagon. 
this really is about responding to to our trinitarian god to the yeah. god of justice the lord of all creation and i could go into the holy spirit and the holy spirit's eschatological perfecting role as well so i think helping our congregations on a very simple level to see where this is a this is a christian thing it's part of our faith not just a secular thing and helping people to make that connection between the climate crisis and poverty i find the stories are what connects with people which is just echoing what ruth has already said stories like orbisa it takes it down a little bit from the the theoretical or the theological and why those things need debate and we'll come to the policy response and all that sort of stuff you can't ignore or debate the impact on the poorest. And that, I think, goes a long way to answer some people's concerns or queries about about the wider issue. Sure. Um, and if people want to find out more about that, the Holy Spirit eschatological stuff, which I know sounds, sounds a bit in-depth, I've written a series on my website looking at how responding to the climate crisis is rooted in the Trinity so people can look at that a bit more there. Wonderful. We'll link to that then in the show notes so that people can just click and see it. Amazing. Um, moving on then from, I guess, the the impact to a bit about a response. We know, I think increasingly, that we need real seismic shifts in order to limit uh, damage and reverse temperature rises and so on. So we're talking social, industrial, governmental kind of response. What would you say then to a Christian like your eye or a church leader who wants to be more sustainable, wants their church to be more sustainable, but I guess is challenged by others maybe that what what's the point in recycling? What's the point in walking to school whenever the needs are so vast? I can't really make a difference. What would be your response to that sort of line of thinking? Well, I'd say we don't we don't use that line of thinking when it comes to taking care of other people, do we? We don't say I'm not going to help this person because because I'm not going to sort their entire life out. You know, we 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 help them, don't we? And and why do we do that? Why do we take little acts of care and of love and of compassion? Because we think that's what God asks us to do, and we know that that's the right way to act as Christians, and that's part of following following Jesus. And so it's the same when it comes to responding to the climate crisis and and to wider environmental issues we do these little things or we do these things often little sometimes big but we do these things as an act of faithfulness and out of our worship and there's also something about at the end of 2 Corinthians Paul says that our our work in the Lord is not in vain and somehow, we don't know how, but somehow I like to think that those little things, those the time when I've chosen to walk or to cycle rather than taking the car, the time when I've chosen to, to eat a bit uh, more sustainably or to holiday in the UK or in, in Europe on the train rather than flying somewhere, somehow those little things will, will, will be shown. They will come through in the world to come, however that looks like. Our work in the Lord, whether big or small, is not in vain. What would you say those, like the top three little steps would be for someone listening today? 
I would say that the first thing is to reduce your meat and dairy intake. So this isn't necessarily about going vegetarian or vegan. And and it really recognizes that there are good meat farmers out there too. So this isn't an anti-farmer thing. Some of us will want to go vegetarian or vegan, but for others, we'll still want to eat some meat. The key is that we're significantly reducing. So we eat a predominantly vegetable and grain-based diet. Switch to a renewable energy supplier and think about your travel. So find ways to reduce the impact of your travel. Walk or cycle wherever you can, take public transport. I'm not saying we can't ever fly, but I'd really reduce it. So maybe fly on holiday once every five years. So it becomes a a treat. Um, And then reduce your your waste, in particular your plastic. So that was a long way to say, focus on four areas. Food, energy, travel, and waste stroke plastic. Yeah, great. Super clear as well. Thank you. Um, Today, earlier, we've been talking a little bit about the the line that we tread at Tear Fund between hope and despair. Um, Mm. And I wanted to ask you about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's reports there in August and September um, about the existing impact already on on temperature rises. And um, both of those reports are pretty stark. um, And while they weren't without hope, it was pretty hard to find. Um, Are you hopeful about, for example, the outcome of COP26 and things further than that? Um, how How do you kind of straddle that? Line. Yeah, let, let me just um, explain first. The IC, IPCC report that came out at the beginning of August really was our direst warning yet that we are in a fight for survival. The, the science was clear that there is still a window for keeping warming to, to 1.5 or below 1.5, but that that window is narrow and rapidly closing. And then the, a recent report from, uh, from the UN looked at all of the country plans that are being brought to COP and looked at if you put all of those together, what does it add up to? And they thought that all of those country plans together will add up to about 2.7 degrees of warming. Mm. Now, that is an improvement because up until that point, I've been talking about 3.2 degrees. Mm-hmm. So that's brought it down by... which is good, or it means we're heading in the right direction. But if we don't keep moving in that direction, 2.7 is absolute disaster Mm -hmm. for for all of us. This isn't just just about communities and poverty, the other side of the world. This is absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. So that question around hope and grief, to be really honest, is one that I struggle with so much. Mm -hmm. For for many years, as I've talked about these things, hope has been my my message. And I've done tours called Hope for Planet Earth and uh, was involved with in running a conference around hope for for the climate and hope for the planet. Um, And then over recent years, I've come to realise, actually, there's a danger in jumping to hope too quickly. And it can become quite easy to say, oh, but we have hope as Christians, you know, so it's okay. Um, And that there's a really important stage that we mustn't miss, which is around grief and lament and confession and repentance. Mm -hmm. I think it was David Attenborough's 
perfect planet with the final episode and some of the things he was showing literally i was on the floor in tears you know we we must agree we need to look full in the face what we have done and the, the absolute horror of what we are causing and grieve that and lament for our own part, not taking on all the guilt because governments and businesses carry a lot of it too and we mustn't let it all come onto us. Mm-hmm. But still, there is a place for us to be lamenting and repenting. And it's from that place that we then need to be inspired to act. And if we act from that place, we act with humility um, and not just with a sense of, oh, we're going to be able to sort it all out. And where hope comes into that, I think I'm at the point of trying to work that out. I think I I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. Um, I was uh, involved in running this conference where we asked in a a brilliant scholar called Richard Borkham, who's written wonderfully on these things. And he talked about ultimate hope, which is that ultimate hope that we have that we see in Revelation 21 and 22, and then proximate hope, which is the near hope. Mm -hmm. Do we have proximate hope? I'm not so sure. Mm -hmm. And then holding those together is resilient hope. And that's the hope. That's the hope for us to get to as Christians. Wow. Wow, It sounds like we'd do another episode on the three types of hope. Um, We want to just finish now actually by asking about prayer. Uh, Specifically, how can we pray for you? Because you're going to take the lead along with a whole team of people in terms of coordinating tier funds response, especially during COP. So uh, we're recording this a little bit before COP, but um, in the next few weeks, that will come to um, come to be on our screens and so on. But within that sort of despair hope equation, how do you pray? And you've mentioned lament and you've mentioned uh, grief. When things feel very big and, and overwhelmingly unsolvable, whether that's stories like Loyara or um, large-scale stuff. How do you pray for that? And then how can we pray for you? Yeah, thank you. Those are great questions. Um, I'm not taking the lead at COP. I have the privilege of being led by an amazing team of people, and I'm going there to serve and use my voice and do whatever I can to, to help out. But for sure, please pray for me and for everyone from Tear Funds who's going to be there at COP, um, working with churches, working with campaigners, working with people, um, activists from all around the world, trying to put pressure on, on our governments during that time. And prayer really is an important part of this process. And when I talk about how can we respond I often talk about standing in the gap. We give, we act, and we pray. So using our money is really important. Um, Let's support organisations that are working in these areas. Action, we've talked about that a little bit. And then I always finish with prayer. And, And I believe absolutely that prayer changes situations. And prayer can change COP. So these COP talks are coming six years, but was supposed to be five years on from the landmark COP talks in Paris in 2015. And I had the privilege for uh, for a book that I wrote for the Archbishop a couple of years ago, had the privilege of interviewing 
a woman called Christiana Figueras, who was one of the, the key architects of the Paris Climate Agreement. And sadly, off camera, just while we were chatting afterwards, so I didn't capture it, she said to me, without the faith communities, there would be no Paris Agreement. And I don't think she's particularly a person of faith, but she saw how the faith communities, particularly the Christians, really mobilised around the world and around Paris, praying, going on pilgrimage, mobilising, doing everything they could. And I'm convinced that prayer was a really significant part of that. Great. Ruth, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing so succinctly and clearly your years of expertise and experience and wisdom. Um, can we ask you a wee bonus question about COVID and how it's impacted you in your leadership <laughs> at Tear Fund, what that's been like? Can you give us a snapshot? <laughs> sure. So it's meant that I've sat here in front of my mugs for, <laughs> for a very long time. Um, it, we've had to be creative and pivot in all of our work. Uh, I have had to, so I've ended up speaking across the UK and across the world just from sitting here. (laughs) It's been really positive in one sense in that it's shown people that we don't have to fly everywhere in Mm -hmm. order to be doing things. So Mm -hmm. for some years, I've been trying to say to people, if I get an invitation that's not in the UK, I've been saying, could you find a way to get me in virtually? And they've all been, oh, no, we couldn't possibly do that. Well, who knew we can? (laughs) So I hope that's shifted some cultures. Mm. Of course, it's been a challenge for all of us working from home, juggling family or living on our own and juggling isolation, all the different challenges Mm. that we've faced but I have been amazed by how creative the teams that, that I oversee have been in responding and still being able to do their work. In fact, in many ways, doing their work better because we've been so creative. So, yeah, challenges and opportunities. Ruth, final, final, final bonus question, uh, promise. Uh, you're obviously a, an author of several books, but particularly as a parent of young children, uh, I'm interested in your kids' book. Tell us just sort of a one minute snapshot of your latest uh, authoring venture. Oh yeah, I love this. It's called Planet Protectors, 52 Ways to Look After God's World. And I've co-written it with Paul Carenza, who's a comedian and a BBC script writer. And do you know in church, often you learn more from the children's slot than you do from the adult (laughs) sermon? Well, that's what I'm hoping from this. Um, It's aimed at primary school kids, but I'm hoping the whole family will get involved. And it's fun, it's quirky, it's illustrated all the way through. It brings Paul's comedic sense of humour and is just a brilliant way to engage your kids, to get your kids engaging you and to to make some changes as a family. I think it's the book, my book that I'm most excited about. Really? And you've written so many, so that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's wonderful because um, I, I just love the illustrations and, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it tackles some some pretty serious and challenging topics, but in a way that's so accessible and that's funny. You'll be laughing all the way through whilst also having your life change. <laughs> that sounds great. And I think to me, that sounds like what you do. You take complex things and you make them accessible to people. So thank you for, for doing that for so many of us. And we will link Ruth to your book. So if you're listening, just go to the show notes or the description of the episode and you will find everything you need to find. Right. There. 
Wow. Well, that was uh, Dr. Ruth Valeria, the one and only, and uh, some real gold in there for you, uh, listener. I hope that you've been blessed and enjoyed that. Uh, We'd love you to connect with us on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever social media you use. Uh, Give us your feedback, uh, send us a little direct message with some questions or other issues that you would like to see the podcast engage with. Gemma, give us your highlight from what Ruth shared with us. You know, I think there were so many, um, but one that really stands out is uh, almost Ruth's permission to us to lament um, the despair that we see in the world and um, to grieve for that. And I suppose also to confess and and repent of um, our role. So yeah, I just thought it was really powerful to hear somebody like Ruth um, say that and not just kind of um, veer straight towards the the solutions or the hope, which is obviously what we talk about an awful lot at Tear Fund. Um, I think there needs to be room for both, isn't there? What about you? What were, what was your biggest takeaway, Chris? I think I, I mean, we talked about despair and hope and I had thought about that earlier this week. So whenever she then teased that out into those three types of hope, our ultimate hope in Jesus and in the restoration and renewal of all things, including uh, ourselves, but then this proximate hope, which is, I think, what we have to wrestle with when we watch the news or when we hear stories and see the, maybe the failure of leadership around the world. Uh, and then the gap then is this resilient hope that as Christians, we have to learn to nurture together. I don't know what that means, but maybe nurturing resilient hope is one of our tasks to take away uh, together. Um, Chris, for any church leaders who are listening who want to delve deeper into the issue of the climate crisis and the Christian response to that, what would you suggest as um, a resource or several resources from Tier Fund to use? Yeah, uh, Tierfund have a couple of wonderful resources. The one I most recommend, the easiest to access, is a little video series called Christianity and Climate Change. It's uh, hosted by a wonderful uh, Christian scientist called Catherine Ahejo, and it um, very, very clearly breaks down the theological and biblical imperative to uh, look after the world and look after the poor, and then talks about response. It's really a small group resource, but I've used it in church uh, for six or seven minutes at a time to tee up a, a sermon or to tee up a series uh, and even just to personally watch, give some wonderful um, explainers about some of the theology behind uh, our response to climate change. And you can get that on Tearfund's website just by Googling Christianity and Climate Change Tearfund. Yeah, fab. And then just in, in talking about prayer, we have a WhatsApp group that is um, just all about prayer requests for the climate and for people we serve across the world and for policymakers and big events then like COP26. So again, you can find that on our website, um, I think just under the prayer banner and you can sign up just using your own your own phone number. Um, and that's a really handy way just to get something to your phone whenever something arises and just to take some time to pray right there and then. Brilliant. Well, peace, Gemma. It's been an absolute delight to uh, co-host with you again this this episode. And uh, listeners, we will see you all for episode three. Bless you.